Hey, what's good, everybody? It's Cedric Warren here, your host of Said Talk. Get it like TED Talk, but it's me. A couple of things. We are on the final episode of season one. Uh, we got started back in November, and it's been quite a journey. I uh, hope you all have enjoyed it as much as I have. Uh, so this week, our final episode is focused on what I think is a very appropriate topic, uh, especially with the times we're in today. Uh, so today, I have several guests with me. Uh, they all share several things in common. Uh, one, they are all black men, and then two, they're all fathers as well. So our episode focuses on fathers, families, and the importance of mentoring our young black men, which is definitely very important. Uh, not just today in today's society, but every day as well. Um, so I think it was very fitting. Plus Father's Day is on Sunday as well. So I think this is a good uh, episode to go into Father's Day. You can listen to it on Father's Day or uh, any other day for that matter. So like I said, I have a couple guests and I will let them introduce themselves. So Jake, if you will kick us off, just tell us who you are, where you're from and what you do. Okay. My name is Jake Wages. I'm from Columbia, South Carolina, and um, I'm a soon-to-be registered nurse. Uh, take my NCLEX in about two weeks. Nice. I'll be working at Lexington Medical Center. Nice. Shout out to the black nurses. That used to be my career path, but that didn't work out well. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Mr. Warren, the original Mr. Warren. <laughs> well, I'm Mark Warren. I'm, uh, I'm the father of Cedric and Justin, who you hear or have heard. Um, I, I'm currently, I'm actually from Hampton, Virginia. Um, I'm currently a privacy officer at Montclair Army Hospital at Fort Jackson in South Carolina, where I reside. Uh, and I'm um, glad that they had me on the show. So, thanks. Good. Welcome. <clears throat> Welcome. Uh, I thought it was fitting to have my own father on the Father's Day episode, right? So, uh, <clears throat> great. Um, and I'm glad you what mentioned. Me? I'm not done. Let me finish. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that you were from originally from Hampton because I was going to ask you like where are you originally from. So, we live in Columbia for a long time, but. Cool. All right. And then our co-host, you've heard him on many an episode. Uh, he is still on. We're still in contract talks to see if he will be back for season two. Uh, so we'll see. But uh, the younger uh, Mr. Warren. <laughs> yes. Uh, Justin Warren, as you all know, is still negotiating the deal. But we, I put aside my uh, animosity to power through this episode. Um, I'm also a father just recently who just recently celebrated the first birthday of his son, Paxton. So happy birthday to Paxton. Yes. <clears throat> happy birthday to Pax. Uh, saw the pictures, got a chance to FaceTime him and see him and everything. So good. All right, gentlemen. Well, thank you for being on again. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, and this is really just going to you know, open up the door to conversation about fatherhood and the importance of it and mentoring and, and stuff like that in those roles. So the first question uh, will kick off with you, Jake. Uh, tell us about the relationship with your father and how did that shape you today? Okay, um, that's a loaded question. Um, growing up, um, it was definitely, I would say, different. Um, my father was involved, but not completely 
emotionally, I should say. Gotcha. Um, he was there financially doing things for me, making sure that I was provided for. But as far as really getting to know me, he did not quite take the opportunity um, in my younger years to really get to know who I was as a person and, you know, normal things that you wouldn't know about your children. He, he just did not know. Mm. And um, growing up as I got older, um, especially through therapy too, especially um, kind of found out some of the things that caused him not to be available emotionally um, to help me come into my own manhood. But now um, we're at a place where um, I talk to him every day, see him at least two or three times a week. He's very involved in my life. Um, like I said, I recently graduated from nursing school. He's been a huge um, component of my success with just being there for me when I need a break to study, when I needed just I to talk to with everything that was going on, trying to work and study and be a husband, be a father. And he he really switched into that fatherhood role to be there for me. I feel like when I needed him most at a time that I couldn't balance everything on my own. Yeah, that's awesome. And I and you and I have had conversations about, you know, that with your dad and stuff like that. So man, it, it is truly amazing. Uh what happens you know what i'm saying uh that's nothing but god you know we're all christian men here so we can agree that was right. truly god uh and we can say that you know everything in his timing of course um so i'll ask you this did you want to become a father and if so how many kids were you wanting yeah i definitely wanted to become a father um Ideally, um, I still want maybe about two more kids. I definitely want a little girl, um, but I was very excited to um, have a boy. And it, it's kind of something that I always thought about. Um, having my own family is something that I never really questioned whether or not I wanted it. It was kind of like, for sure, I wanted a chance to um, impart some of the wisdom that I gained along the way. and you know, just kind of be there um, in that capacity and start my own lineage that way. Yeah, that's good. I think uh, all guys, when they have kids, they're probably hoping for that boy so you can keep the Amazing. the last name rolling. Uh, at least one. Right. If you get if you get a bunch of girls the rest of the way, cool. But like at least one. I'll never forget, man. I uh, right. we went to take some family portraits I think it was and the guy was in this and y'all remember Portrait Innovations right the guy was in there and yeah. he had five daughters <laughs> like yeah. he was probably kept trying and kept trying and then you know that was it so alright cool uh, Justin same question uh, tell us about the relationship with your father who you are currently sitting next to <laughs> I know, right? I'm, can I answer this question truthfully? <laughs> no, um, I believe we have a pretty good relationship. I, as I've gotten older, I realized like how important and then like how fortunate I was that our dad was in our lives. Like, and it, it, you really cannot see these things like while you're in high school. But, but I think when I got to college, I realized like, wow, 
what I had in a father was not something that a lot of my peers had. Like one, he was there. So <laughs> that's, that's like huge. And I know you gotta, you gotta be more than just there, of course. And he was, but one, he was there. Two, he, uh, he took the time and I'm gonna use some of Jake's answers to kind of like say like he took the time to get to know us and he knew us as people as uh, people and things about us and and he, um, he gave us advice he uh, uh, he came to our stuff which is also big like there was never I don't I mean there were times I'm sure there's times he missed stuff but like there's nothing like that I remember or hold a grudge against so uh, okay. the, <laughs> the relationship has uh, definitely been pretty good I'm very blessed that we had such a a great role model in our lives and um and as i became a father well, as i got married and became a father you know that the relate our relationship is grown and become even more important now yeah yeah um and i think the the part you you and jake mentioned about being there uh it's one thing to show up you know just kind of be there uh be physically present yeah that's good at times that's definitely important but i think the biggest thing is the emotional uh part of being there right uh being there to understand what he's going through uh because it's probably similar to some of the things that you went through uh, emotionally you know as as boys we age we grow we we get into you know relationships and we start thinking about who we like and 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 that advice and that support needs to be there as well and then in terms of missing anything if he missed anything it was because he was probably working you know uh and you know mom was there or you know maybe he was out of town but it wasn't like it wasn't an intentional i choose not to be there you know um i don't want to say he was like he had a good excuse but like you know uh there was a reason you know what i'm saying so cool all right uh justin did you want to become a father to that um and i just want to also add like he was also like available for us to ask you know stuff, and um, you know, I probably didn't ask him probably everything I should have, you know, or could have. But looking back, and I know he was there. And if I would ask him something, he would definitely provide an answer. And he also um, shared the things that he liked. It kind of, I, mean, I hate to say brainwash, but I guess <laughs> kind of. Not only just like with sports and yeah. putting us up on the Dallas Cowboys and making us suffer. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> I know I just felt like like that's our like how we you know we bonded and I think that's important because yeah. uh, I'm definitely gonna try to pass that down to my son and it's just something I will I hold on to and always remember. For sure. Yeah. Uh, we all of us on this podcast currently are all Cowboys fans, so we have all suffered. Dad has suffered much longer than us, uh, yeah. but he was able to witness like when they were like dominating, right? Like just killing everybody. Yeah, you know, we we caught the tail end of that. You know, what I'm saying '95 <laughs> Super Bowl, and then it's been yeah <clears throat> a lot. But you know, we'll get into football again if it happens in September. But uh, yeah, that's that's those are those are all important things, like you said. Um, passing those things down, those traditions. I've talked about this before, 
maybe not on a podcast, but probably when I was writing my said talks that we as black people need to continue to pass down traditions, right? We often hear that white people stripped us of so many things, and it's true, they did. There's a lot of history, a lot of tradition that was stripped away from us uh, and forgotten. But in this day and age of technology, uh, we have the power, we have the opportunity to create new traditions to then pass along to future generations as well. Uh, so whether it be sharing a sports team, uh, you know, whether it be sharing, um, you know, a, a favorite um, food or anything like that, we, we all need to pass that along, pass down the recipes, pass down the experiences and, and keep those memories alive as well. Um, that, that makes us as a culture as well. Um, so Justin, I, I don't know if you answered this, but did you want to become a father? How many kids did you want if you did? Uh, definitely want to become a father. Uh, it was kind of a matter of like when, because uh, me and my wife waited five plus years before we had our son. Um, and the number that we came to was no more than two. <laughs> and right now, dealing with him, it looked like he might be the only one. He might be the only one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just kidding. But seriously, he might be the only one. Yeah. We'll see about That's another fair. one. But um, yeah, I, I definitely wanted to become a father. I think it was just a matter of when and trying to figure out, oh, what's the best time? And you find out there is no best time. You just do it. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. I I did want to become a father. Awesome. And I became one. There you go. Good stuff. All right. The eldest Warren. (laughs) I'm probably going to switch up your name multiple times, so just just roll with it. All right. Same question. Uh, Relationship with your father and how do you think it shaped you? you know, in your young adulthood and into becoming a father as well? Well, you know, I was on the opposite side of the spectrum. Uh, my dad, he was uh, he was in the house, but he wasn't really there for me. So uh, uh, I had a grandfather and uncle that, that you know, were my mentors, were the, were the folks that I dealt with. Because my father would always promise a lot of things and, and a lot of times he wouldn't show up for it. But it taught me to say, okay, if I ever became a father, I'm gonna do everything I can to be with my sons and try to help them grow and, and learn. And I've learned along along the way, um, you know, being a father. You know, I'm not, I wasn't perfect, but you know, because I had you two, you know. <laughs> well, I had one golden one and I had one that was finished. <laughs> no, I just, yeah, I just played. But, uh, no, it, 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 you know, he really wasn't there. And then he really was out of the house and my mother and father, you know, split up. But uh, he would always, like I said, promise us a lot of things and he would never show up. I couldn't really talk. But as I got older and became an adult, our relationship got a little bit better. I was able to talk to him a little bit more before, you know, during the years that before he passed away. Uh, we, we developed a little better relationship and, you know, he was able to share some things with me, you know, um, that I didn't know and, and, you know, it helped me. But, you know, as I grew, like I said, I just learned from different people. I learned, you know, just being a father um, has its ups and downs. There's no perfect way. There's no books. 
I mean, they write all kinds of books, but you know, there is no perfect way to be a father other than just do your best, communicate with them, and love them. That's it. That's fair. That's fair. You know, too, you, you mentioned something that I, I think about this now since, you know, you all have kids too, right? Um, it's it's not only just the, the moment there that a, a child can be absent of a father, but that once that kid has a child, that child becomes absent of a grandfather, right? And we think about the wisdom that is then passed down from not just a father to a son, but a grandfather to his grandkids as well. Uh, The lessons, you know, because they're they're coming from a different time period, you know. Um, Jake, Justin, you'll be able to tell Pax and Grayson, like, man, there was a time where, you know, our your your parents saw racial tension and then your great great grandparents saw racial tension and then we saw it with the death and killings of many unarmed black men today and in in the past five years or so right those wisdom uh moments i think are passed down from a grandfather to a a grandchild and i think kids are are essentially robbed of that you know when, when fathers aren't present as well so uh good points yeah um Thank you for that, uh, Elder Warren. (laughs) Uh, So we appreciate that. All right. So oftentimes uh, we hear about the absent father, but not the present ones, right? Um, What is your take on this position in the narrative today, right? Especially with social media being so powerful. if you can just you can just go on any social media platform on Sunday, starting probably at midnight, right? And you will see just post about you know you'll see the post about the fathers being there, but you see so many people bitter. Or I'm gonna post this woman because she does both roles, and I'm gonna post this because this and that. Uh, how do we move away from that? And again, just give me your take on that, your feelings on that. Uh, does it does it add to more absent fathers does it you know does it feed the stereotype of black men being absent you know what i'm saying uh how do you feel about this so we'll start with justin yeah i was hoping to start with me uh before <laughs> um, when i read that question for you know the pre-interview question i went and looked up some stats because i need to see like the numbers and most of the sources i pulled anywhere from 70 to 77 percent of children or black children are born to unmarried mothers. So you can kind of take that for, you know, for what that is. And you can tell that the majority of black children are raised by a single mother based on those stats. Uh, I'm not a scholar, so if I'm wrong, listeners, please let us know. But that's, I think, I mean, you say it's a stereotype, but it's, it exists for a reason, and I believe it's because it looks like the majority of us are raised by a single mother. And how do we move away from that? We got to be married to the women we're having babies with, or at least be around. Um, marriage, preferably, probably would work out a little better or make it a little easier. But we got to be around and. It looks as if we have to do better. Now, I don't want to spend my whole time you know, putting this down because there's plenty of fathers who are around. I'm sitting next to one 
was around. And I definitely try to be around for my son. And it's gonna take it's gonna take some time. And you brought up a good point about that that generational gap. Yeah, that's big, man. And it's it will take some time for us to move away from that. I would like to think that um, this current generation that's maybe becoming fathers are more likely in a two-parent system or two-parent household. So it'd be interesting to find our numbers on that. But I, I would say that, unfortunately, the numbers tell us that um, single motherhood amongst Black families is a reality. Yeah. I think we have to look those further and just say, because it's hard to say what they determine as a single mother. Is it just unmarried? Is that this uh, criteria that they use? Unmarried? Um, because again, you could be unmarried yeah. and still I have. Best way to pull the data is to pull unmarried. unmarried. Of course, within those unmarried, there are certain situations. Could be situations where the parents aren't married, but the father is very much involved. Yeah, in co-parenting and in the house. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know what that percentage might be. Yeah, um, that'd be that'd be a good dive. If anybody who listens has any statistics, um, that'd be great uh, as well. Uh, in fact, I think I know a guy who could probably pull those as well. So I'll look into that. But uh, yeah, Dad, what do you think? How do we how do we move away from the the narrative, the absent father narrative? I believe we got to stop buying into everything that we see in social media, on the news, uh, in our neighborhoods. You know, and, and once we start getting away from that, and once we start uh, being men and just you know, just just taking this thing by the horns and saying, "Hey, look, you know, we're gonna take care of our kids. We're gonna make sure they can grow up." You know, regardless, I, I think a lot of it too is that you know some of these guys feel that they're inadequate because of the fact that they might not have you know higher education or they might work at a certain job. Don't even get on the chance of thing. But anyway. Uh, they might work, you know, certain jobs, or and they don't think they're adequate enough to really be there and, and for their for their kids, you know, and uh, which is not not the truth, you know. The last time I checked, when I had to take my car for a service, that guy, I was about to scream. But anyway, right. um, I just think we need more communication. I, I think we need to stop getting. We need to communicate with our kids. We need to communicate with. The mothers of these children. I know, like I said, you brought the point about on social media about I don't like her because of this. And also, we all we also have to have the, the uh, judicial system um, work with us with that because a lot of guys go to you know jail because they can't pay. They may not be working, you know. So we have to all you know come together and put this thing together and. Uh, in, a, in order for these, you know, uh, uh, young men to uh, prosper. Yeah, those are great points. And uh, before I get to you, Jake, I, I want to mention too. Um, I used to do some work uh, when I was working at DHEC. I used to work with uh, a organization in South Carolina called um, Fathers and Families. 
essentially the title of this uh, podcast today. And uh, one of the guys told me how unfair a lot of times that kind of child support uh, right. system is, you know, and it's not always based on how much they make. Um, it can be up to the judge, I think. So, and you're thinking a lot of judges are female, so they're probably going to side with the, with the mother as well. So there are a lot of hardworking uh, men out there trying, you know what I'm saying? And then you get, uh, Justin made the point, we have to watch who, we, who we're laying with and having, you know, kids with. And she can be vindictive because you you and her don't work out, right? And then now she's holding it against you uh, that, you know, I'm not going to allow him to be around when he wants to, right? So uh, I'm with you. We need to have more advocacy for fathers who are trying to be there as well. Uh, you made some good points there as well. So, uh, and, and we, we have to point out there are men out there who just say, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. You know, there, there are men who say, yes, I lay with you. Yes, you're pregnant and having a kid, but I'm not about to do that. And that's that's the frustrating part, I think, is that they give them so much power by continuously talking about them. Right. Continuously saying he ain't this and he ain't there. He's not coming. He's not coming. And I think that's to deal with a lot of emotional uh I don't want to call them traumas, but emotional uh, triggers or just factors, um, you know, within. Traumas are probably. Yeah, probably so. Within that woman, this is what happens when you date a therapist. You get all the mm -hmm. mental health words. Uh, you get all those things, and then that kind of carries over into into her feelings for him, and it just continues to give that man power when really you should be focusing on you and, and being the best parent you can, and potentially finding you know a uh, partner who who would step in. You know what I'm saying? Um, if we have time, we'll get into stepfathers and stuff like that. Jake, same question: uh, How do we get away from the narrative? Um, I guess I have a different lens, um, being that I came from a single parent home. Um, my mom and dad were married for um, like 14 or 15 years before I was born, um, divorced when I was one. So I kind of have um, that perspective growing up. Um, I never saw the, uh, I guess, the bitterness that a lot of people see between um, like my mom that she had for my dad, I never saw it. She always wanted him as involved as he wanted to be. And so um, I think we have to change both sides. We need to come to a point where if you're no longer together, you're just not together. It's all about focusing on that child to have the best parent, um, best mother, best father separately. And so, um, like you guys said, we've got to get away from the topic of talking about the ones that aren't doing and focusing and pushing to the forefront of the ones that are doing it. Um, when I was a teacher, like you guys said, is it is it's not quite a stereotype. There's so many kids that I've had to talk to because they've come to me and told me that, hey, Mr. Wages, I got her pregnant. And I'm like, we had this conversation. I told you, don't do things that you're not prepared for. And the older we get and the more experience that we get, once we develop our own families, we really have to reach back to those young men to tell them, if you wouldn't marry this young lady, you do not need to create a life with her. That's how we break the cycle. We 
you know, may may it be within a young man that is a believer or not a believer. That's something that we have to push and say, let's not create these separate families anymore. That's how we really start building our communities back because we can't do it as a single parent unit. It's, it's just not function. I mean, from my standpoint, what I believe, we were not created to be separate. We, we just don't function naturally like that without having two parents to be the best we can be. Of course, we know things happen, but to go in with the mindset that, hey, I'm gonna create this life and then I'm gonna move elsewhere, that's, that's just not healthy for the child, number one, and it's not healthy for the lineage that he leaves behind because the child sees, especially if it's a young boy, if he sees that his father has created this life, left my mother to fend for herself, that's his norm. So sure. we, we, we definitely have to reach back and um, use that as a teachable moment for our young men. For sure. No, you made uh, an excellent point. Um, I talk about it all the time. Reaching back. OK, stop forgetting that you once were somebody. Right. And even if you didn't, if you had a father who was there and your grandfather was there, you should want to share that experience with somebody else. Right. Fathers are can be can, can be in, in so many uh, areas. Right. A fatherhood figure. Right. It's not necessarily just the blood uh, of somebody. Right. Um, family isn't always blood. You know, what I'm saying fathers aren't always blood. So I think it's important for us to, like you said, as we get older, to reach back and say that, you know, say a lot of times when I have conversations with my men's group at church, I'm one of the few people who had their father around present physically, emotionally. And I listen to all these guys talk about, you know, that that lack of and I can't relate. You know what I'm saying? And not that I brag or boast about it, but I do say like I'm very blessed to have had that. And I I push forward the perspective that because I had it, I want somebody else to have it. Right. I want you to have the same blessings that I had. I had the ability because of my father to grow up in a safe neighborhood. I could go outside. I could run around. I could play. Uh, I didn't have to worry about if the lights were going to get cut off. Uh, They probably joked. <laughs> you know, uh, about, you know, not having things or whatever, but we never worried. You know what I'm saying? We never worried. And, uh, you know, I, I want that same thing for a lot of our other black kids and black boys as well. So uh, good points there, Jake. All right. Uh, in today's times, we are seeing a lot of uh, crime against, you know, unarmed black men being shot, unarmed black men being killed, even black women, sadly, uh, too, are being essentially targeted. And uh, but our focus today is on, again, on on black boys and black men. So, uh, Dad, we'll kick this off with you. Uh, Describe the challenges of raising a black son in America. Uh, Describe the fears you have or had raising a black son. Um, How did you go about making sure they were safe and aware of what the world is? Uh, So if you need me to repeat any of the questions, just let me know. But describe the challenges. So you want me to describe what it was like? It was tough, man, because, you know, the world was not, the world is not, I guess, set up for you guys. It's, it's, it's like they want to treat you like you're some kind of animal all the time, you know. They want to put you in a box to say that all young black men. So to raise you guys, um, 
I, I, I worry. I'm going to tell you, I worry about you because, you know, you were out there doing it. I mean, I know you were enjoying yourselves and you were out there doing your, your thing, but I worried about the people that were around you and what they, what they might be doing and what they might cause you to be involved with. So it, 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 it's, it, it's tough, but it's, it's, re, it's rewarding when you see that, you know, all the nights that when I told you to be there at 12, you coming in at 12.30, and, you know, and I'm thinking, okay, where is he? Where, you know, I'm, I'm up basically, you know, and I got your mama, you know, saying, okay, you know, where they at, where they at? But, um, um, it, it was tough, and um, uh, repeat that other part of the question. Yeah. Um, so yeah, describe the fears you had raising a black son. I think you mentioned that you were worried about you know who was with us. Of course, uh, how did you go about making sure we were safe? They were safe and aware of what the world was. Well, I, I think to make yeah to to make you guys safe, you have to have boundaries. You have to let your children know, hey, this is what we expect from you. So that'll keep you safe um, in the long run because we've set boundaries. Like I said, coming in at 12 or uh, making sure you leave at 8 in the morning or whatever time y'all had to be at school. You know, you be at school on time and you don't, you know, you, you don't leave, you don't go anywhere else. You know, your brother tried it once before, and I caught it. But anyway, <laughs> it's still <laughs> it, it, it's. I mean, it's just those things. You know, it's it's, it's boundaries, and, and you know, to help keep y'all safe, to make sure that you know, uh, you you talk to your kids. Um, you know who they like. I said in the first part, you know who they who they uh, associate with that type of thing. Um, in the last part of it, um, let's see. How did you go about making sure they're safe, and what, and how? So, how did you uh, describe like what the world was? Like, how did you make them aware that they would be treated, we would be treated differently, you know, because we were black? Hey, you know, your mother and I always told y'all the truth. We didn't sugarcoat, especially you know your mom. You know. The truth. Ever. You know, she didn't show a lot of things, and uh, you know, I was, you know, we always told you guys the truth. We always told you what was going on in the outside, what you can do, what somebody else cannot do, um, and 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 be aware of these things, you know. And so that was our that was our mechanism to help y'all understand what was going on in the world. You know, we constantly talk to y'all about that, and I'm sure y'all remember. You know, some discussions we may have had um, about what's going on in the world, and, and you know, it's, you know, and what y'all do if you ever stopped, if you, you know, those type of things. We also made sure that you know, so that's what we did. Cool. Well, we appreciate it. We're still here, so yeah, <laughs> uh, we are. We are truly blessed to still be here. So I appreciate you uh, and not sugarcoating. Uh, I do. Um, I don't think I've really met anyone who 
had was not really aware, right? You, you sometimes you meet people who and black people, and I've read a story uh, about this guy, Connecticut investment banker, you know, six figures income, living in a you know big house in Connecticut, and sending his son to a private school, and then he kind of uh, his son experienced racism for the first time when he was about 12 or 13, when these guys drove past and was calling him slurs while they were outside of his private school, right? And he had this notion that, you know, if I made enough money, you know, because I make, you know, six figures, because I make two and a half million dollars a year and my kids are at a private school, my wife makes another six figures, that that would help is escape, right? Uh, Honestly, it just opens you up to a new level of it, right? Uh, you know, there's like the <laughs> the poor racism that you kind of see, you know, on TV or whatever, you know, that is kind of, uh, you know, made up, made fun of, or just seen on TV. And then you have like that more rich, uh, you know, you know, just different levels of socioeconomic, right? They start to treat you differently and stuff like that. But um, yeah, that awareness, I don't think I've ever met anybody who hasn't been like aware regardless. So uh, Jake, what do you think? Uh, So talk about, you have a two-year-old, my godson, Grayson. Uh, You know, um, we are are seeing this, these injustices happen. Uh, so talk about the challenges you think will come in the future uh, and your fears now for raising a black son. You know, he's he's at the age, he's not going anywhere. You can keep him with him, you can keep him safe. Uh, but once he starts to turn 10, 11, 12 and starts to be out and wants to go with friends and stuff like that, talk about some of the fears you may have. Well, just to piggyback off of what you said about wealth, um, having a certain type of money, um, I remember like my first like really, really hard experiences when um, I was in the car with my dad and there was a gala at USC um, for um, the Department of Education that were celebrating um, the doc- um, recent graduates of their um, PhD program. So he was speeding in his car. We were trying to hurry to get there, ended up being pulled over. We're all dressed up. Um, the officer asked for his license, asked where he was going. And he told him, I'm trying to get to a gala. Uh, I'm being honored at this gala for my PhD. And I never will forget the look on the white officer's face. It was total disbelief. He basically was like, stop lying to me. He said, are you sure that's where you're going? And that was my first, like, really, really close experience to understanding no matter what we achieve, no matter how many degrees that we may obtain, they may look at us differently. And that's a scary thing because I know our grandparents have said, like, go get your education. That's the thing that's going to set you apart. Um, It's going to put you to a place where you can do better for yourself. You can kind of get away from these things that have plagued them in the past, but it doesn't. It's just a whole new level playing field of racism just in a different tax bracket. And so um, the scary thing is, is Grayson is cute now. Like people see him as a cute kid, but I remember seeing a sign 
that a child had during the protest, at what age do I no longer be, am I no longer cute and become a threat? And that's what scares me so much that when he gets to that age, because like we were talking earlier um, off script before we started, Grayson is going to be a big boy. Yes. So if he's out playing potentially in a neighborhood that he should not, that others may think he should not belong in, I mean, at 12, 13 years old, he might be 6'2". They see him as a grown man. And that's what scares me just because of potentially the size that he is, he will be looked at as a grown man and treated as a grown man and be totally innocent. And it's like he's being punished for what his parents have worked hard and diligently for. And that's what scares me, just just the chance of somebody discriminating against him for just being an innocent child, you know, enjoying what his parents have been blessed to do or blessed to have. Right, right. your example makes me think of Tamir Rice. Uh, Tamir Rice was 12, but he was tall and big for his age, right? Um, how many kids have we seen be tall and big for their age, right? They're, they're, they're 12, they're 13, yeah. they're like six feet. You're looking like, 12, where? What you eating? You know what I'm saying? Um, I think one of the greatest lessons that uh, our dad taught us, and of course our mom too, was and we were we we grew up next to a an awesome Christian family, uh, white Christian family, who loved to death, right? Um, amazing people. One of our first best friends, Ross, and his family. And one of the things that we didn't go often, but you know, every now and then we might ride to the store and get some candy or you know whatever. And one of the lessons that we were taught was that make sure you keep your hands like basically in your pocket don't be touching anything because you're not with us you know what i'm saying and while i i didn't think they would ever do anything to jeopardize our safety it wasn't them it was the outside and how we would be perceived if, if ross was seen as a seven-year-old picking up a toy that says try me right you remember the toys that say try me toy says try me he's playing with it laughing and joking whatever he may even walk off with it right just to show his parents like hey look at this right they'll just think oh here's this cute little kid walking away with his toy to show his parents right but if i did it or justin did it then all of a sudden that script is flipped right this seven-year-old black kid is trying to steal right because that's the image that they portray for us right or that's the image they they've put out there or that's the image they have in their head is that we don't have the intentions of a child we have the intentions of adult no matter what age we are right it's all malice everything we do is in malice right he's trying to steal so um I think too is that's part of the reason probably why I touch stuff in the store now because <laughs> I couldn't do it as a as a child but I recognize that was that was a safety feature as well um yeah and, and your your fears are justified I mean every day we see it in the news um they are justified not just not just Tamir Rice but Trayvon Martin too who was what 13 14 uh when he was yeah. when he was killed so I mean you know it's it's uh, and, and even before then, right, we think about the 
five boys who are now exonerated, um, call them the exonerated five, uh, from Central Park in New York, right? Kids, they were kids. Who cares if they were teenagers? They were kids. You know what I'm saying? 13 year olds don't know nothing. You're dumb at 13 year old. You're dumb at 18 too. You're just not as dumb. <laughs> and maybe you're dumb with money in your pocket, right? Who knows? You might be. You might be dumber at 18. You know who knows? Uh, but yeah, I, I was getting ready. To say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Justin, same question for you. Uh, challenges of raising Paxton in this world. Um, I think you have a. Um, I won't say an advantage, but he is around in a city where there are a lot more people that look like him, but we still know that that doesn't necessarily factor into it, right? You may move, you may go elsewhere, travel. Uh, so yeah, describe the challenges that you think will come, the fears you'll have, and how do you want to make him aware of it? Right, so um, you were touching on something I was gonna bring up, and that's that adultification of children. And it happens for black children, especially at a much earlier age than it usually does for white children. So as you were describing that eight, nine, 10 year old is gonna be looked at like a, t- a teenager and teenagers are gonna be looked at as grown men, adults. And that just plays into the fear that um, police or uh, white society has with um, our black children. And now those are things that me and my wife definitely think about all the time. And fortunately, we're, it's not something that's dominating our thought process right now because that's just one. But we're definitely, uh, we have these discussions and we talk about it. And one thing we will do to make him aware, well, one that we want to make him aware that he is black and then also that he needs to be proud to be black. and to love his blackness and to not look at it as like a disadvantage or a, a curse or, you know, anything negative that can become, you know, from being black that people might try to, you know, push on him. So we definitely gonna put that in, instill that in him. And then we're also gonna do much like our parents, they said, is share with him what's going on in this world. We're gonna sit and watch the news. We're going to tell him, don't touch a bunch of stuff in the store. We're going to make sure he's hanging out with the right people, or I shouldn't say right, but make sure he's hanging out with people who have um, similar interests, similar goals that he's going to have in his life. And I'm not sure that missed a part of that question. No, I think you got it. Uh, you know, just the fears you have um, and, and talking about how you're going to make him aware, you know, that he will likely be treated different. Right. right. And the biggest fear, like right now, like the biggest fear I have is like the economic oppression that black people are facing and the political oppression we face, like just the whole how our people built this country and yet... We're still the most disenfranchised people in this country and how for sure uh, we have a crazy racism in the White House and how he won four years ago and then how he could possibly win again and then that, that his challenger is a guy who has repeatedly taken the black vote for granted. Like those kind of things are what I fear right now for Paxson as he's won. And I just 
you know, I want to see the world become a better place for him. And I'm hoping that in his lifetime or maybe in his childhood that some of those fears can be eased up a little bit. So those are the things I fear of raising a black man right now. Yeah. Black yeah. child. Excuse me. I adultified him. Yeah. <laughs> black child. He's one. Still, still one. Still one. But yeah, I mean, all of you mentioned great points. All of those are fears. Um, I don't have a kid of my own flesh and blood, but my girlfriend, when I met her, had a daughter. And naturally, I've stepped into this role and proudly I've done it. And I, I've i had to share those same sentiments. Now, she's a girl, right? So there's an added, uh, added, added fears and stuff, right? She's 10. Um, and you think about how, how black women are treated. You think about uh, just black people in general, and you worry. And I and I understand what you know. Starting to understand what you know, my parents started to think about as we got older. Right? Uh, who is she talking to? Who is she hanging with? Um, what type of things are being put in her head? Right? And then Justin, you mentioned a great point about being proud of her blackness. Right? Being proud of your blackness. Yes. Yes. There is a lot of disenfranchisement, but there is so much more greatness that has come with being black. We have physically built this country, right? Uh, Just because we didn't necessarily write the policies, we physically built it, you know what I'm saying? Um, Justin, you and I are graduates of University of South Carolina. Our ancestors physically built that university and we have as every much right as anybody to be students, graduates of that university. Uh, and if anybody says difference, you know, they can they can kick rocks. Uh, Jake, you'll soon be a graduate of the University of South Carolina. You're a fan as well. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, spurs up, man. Um, you know, we physically built these places of higher learning that we were not allowed to go to. You know what I'm saying? So uh, all those fears are real. Uh, they shouldn't be. And I think in this time period now, we're seeing the true face of America, right? Um, America is Two-Face, right? You are seeing Harvey Dent and you're seeing Two-Face, right? And you're seeing this knight in shining armor who's protecting people and we're the world's police and we do this, this, and this. And then we turn the other cheek and we see how people in this own country are still starving, you know what I'm saying? Not having running water, um, not able to pay bills, not able to access healthcare. Or if they do access healthcare, they're spending $200,000 just to have a surgery that's saves their life and then now they go into debt and they lose their home and you know it's just all these vicious cycles right and that's even more so for black people and people of color of course um so yeah politically economically i hope that changes too like i said i think with this showing a face right we're seeing who's who and who's for us who's against us and, and we can start to make the changes that we need to okay um all right, so you know, so talk about the importance of mentoring, right? And setting the examples for our youth, right? We we talked about Jake. You mentioned about reaching back. That's so important, um, and especially important for our young black males who may not have a father figure in their life, right? Talk about that importance, uh, Dad. You can kick us off with that one. 
the importance is uh, I, I think we, we need to communicate. Uh, we need to communicate and and, and, and and even if that's not your son, you know, sometimes you know you can talk to a young man and, and get him to understand some things because he doesn't have that father figure. So we have me, you know, guys in my age bracket need to, you know, talk to you guys, you know, and you guys need to talk to the younger guys. You know, it, it's no age really where you can start mentoring that. And they think, okay, well, you know, start mentoring them when they become teenagers. By that time, it's a lot of time it's too late because, you know, they've already been through a cycle of, um, you know, what's going on in their own place and stuff like that. So uh, we have to get out there and communicate, I think, uh, and, and, you know, talk to these young men, you know, be there for them, you know, let them know it's okay, you know, uh, to be emotional sometimes, you know, it's okay to, uh, uh, you know, not not know everything. You know, just, yeah. just just be with them, and you know, let them know that somebody really cares about them. And I think that's what will help. Uh, that I, that's why I think mentorship is so important because you know we need to do these things. Uh, get get our get our young man back on track. For sure, knowledge is power, and you know, like you said, it's okay to not know everything. And I don't know everything. You don't know everything. All of us don't know everything, but we all know something, right? And I've heard many a times where people be like, well, I can't do this because I don't know that. Well, you do know something, right? You know more than they do. If you are 21, you've lived 21 years of life, you know what I'm saying? And that 12-year-old is still still living. It has a lot to learn, right? So you can share not only don't, don't and it's not always about I think people will uh, think about mentorship is always sharing the successes, share your failures, yeah. right? It, they probably learn more from your failures than your successes, right? Everybody can share their successes. Yes, I graduated from college. Yes, I got my Ph.D. Yes, I started a business. Right. Uh, but what about, yes, I failed two classes. Yes, my first business failed. You know, yes, it took me 10 years to finish my PhD. You know what I'm saying? Like share your, your your failures and your pitfalls too, not only so they see that you're human, right? And it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay. They don't have to be perfect, but also so that they can learn from them and see like, okay, well, that didn't work. Maybe if I'm going with the same route, let me try this as well. Uh, so be able to share that advice. Is so important. So the communication piece that you've, you've nailed that several times. So that's definitely important. Um, Jake, what do you think? You've been a football coach, a teacher, uh, and your father as well. So, I mean, that's several instances where you're you're a mentor to, to youth who, who may not. And you were in a, a rural school district, too. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's so vital just to be there. Um, like Mr. Warren was saying that the older generation for me, um, I've always kind of sought out, um, knowledge and wisdom, just probably from being in church all the time. I just, they look like, you know, they knew so much. And so, um, it just made... <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy. Okay. <laughs> it just made more sense to, you know, really take time to understand what they were trying to show us and teach us. It just was things that, 
we could just take on and learn, you know, at a place where um, we can kind of apply it to our lives. And also, too, it gives a chance to, like, build not only the community, but understand about building generational wealth. That's one of the things that I think about with mentorship, too, because we're at a place where we can actually start building generational wealth, where our parents have had opportunities to go to school and have occupations that our grandparents, um, um, occupations that our grandparents could not have had. And so that's a way that we can also teach them, pull them in to careers that were kind of closed off to them or they maybe didn't think about, like in nursing, um, when I told the kids that I was teaching, that I was going back to nursing school, they did not think that men could be nurses. It was cra- it was the craziest thing to me, but like you said, I worked in a rural school district where that wasn't really talked about, especially from a black male. And so um, I just reached back to that school district since I've stopped teaching and uh, recruited a lot of um, young men that were still there going through the health science program through um, career and technology. And so um, it's just a way that I was able to really kind of mentor them and give them opportunities to show them like, hey, you don't have to go to a four-year school. Um, there's a lot of different uh, opportunities at technical schools. Because um, I told them, I was like, I went to a four-year university, but then I'm going to a tech school now, and I more than doubled my salary, but I was making as a teacher. So there's a lot of different avenues where you can educate yourself. And coming from someone that looks like them from a black male, that's what they need to see more of. For sure. Yeah, there's definitely power in that. And, um, you know, again, as a teacher, a lot of influence there. Uh, we definitely I've talked about this on an episode where all the black male teachers. Right. Uh, I've seen a question floating around on Facebook and Instagram and social media as a whole. that says uh, social experiment. Let us know when you had your first African-American male teacher. And I never had one. I had a total of about 19 years of schooling from kindergarten to 12, technically five years of undergrad, two years of a master's degree. Like, you know, there's no there's no black male teachers whatsoever. I've had several black women, but no no male uh, teachers as well. You know, and I was fortunate. Again, I had my father to look to. But for some in the school system, that can be another outlet for them. Right. Of course, coaches are there, but um, what about the the school teacher as well? So, um, Justin, yeah, I definitely agree with the points my dad and Jake has raised. Uh, I kind of want to throw this out here. I do believe mentoring is effective, and it definitely works. My fear is that a lot of times potential mentors or people who start mentoring cannot be that consistent presence in someone's life to really make that impact. And I I will speak from experience from, I was tutoring here in DC and I, and it was, it was tutoring kids who were going through family court stuff or adoption stuff. Mm -hmm. Like they were like wards of this uh, city and they needed tutoring. So it was more it was more of a mentoring than more so tutoring. And I just remember tutoring this one boy 
who he had promise, but he just wasn't focused like on school at all. And he just was in a home situation where no one was there to support him academically. And all he really saw was like people uh, dealing drugs. I remember one time he told me <laughs> he wanted to be a gangster when he grew up. And, <laughs> and he might have been joking, but it really didn't feel like he was joking because I think like that's what he knew. And I know that story's been told a hundred times, but just, it needs to be, when we do mentoring and think of mentor, we gotta make sure we're being consistent. I definitely think uh, Jake has done that with, when he was in education and having the, that ability to plant those seeds and get those young men to think differently. So when I think of mentoring, I know it works, but I just know we gotta, you gotta be consistent. You gotta be that consistent person, that once a week, if you're the only positive person in somebody's life and all the other voices are negative, it's, it's gonna be hard to really uh, have that impact that you would like to see. And also, I wanna bring up another point, my dad brought it up earlier about propping up guys who feel inadequate and giving them that confidence to be fathers. Um, I had never thought of that until he said it. And that's another way for that's a form of mentorship. And I think a lot of times we think mentorship is mentoring these uh, school age kids, but I think grown men can be mentored as well, and or who we deem as being grown can be mentored. And if we do like my dad says, we provide that community for them and that uh, like positive aspect to a guy who feels like I'm not going to be my father's life, I mean my child's life because I don't make enough money or. Uh, or I didn't have a father growing up, so I don't know how to do it. But just being that voice for those guys to say, look, um, no one knows how to be a father until they do it. Or it doesn't matter how much money you make, it's the time, you're the consistent presence, as I was speaking to before, being consistent. Like, I don't know how much dad made while we were growing up. I just know he was there. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm not gonna, I'm not sitting there counting, you know, coins and then like I just remember the times he was there. Yeah. So that is my take for mentorship. For sure. Yeah, I uh I agree. That's that's a that's a great point. Um because, you know, propping them up is just you're making more available mentors, right? We think about mentorship being somebody older with somebody younger. It could be the, the exact opposite, you know what I'm saying? Uh, depending on what somebody has or has not accomplished in their life, you know what I'm saying? Mentors can come in all forms. Uh, my pastor, again, who I, I wish could be on with you all too, uh, Justin, you made a couple points that, that dad had talked about that he mentions all the time. One is, he says, before you tell me who you're over, tell me who you're under, right? So everybody needs a mentor. A mentor needs a mentor. A life coach needs a life coach. Nick Saban had a coach to get him to be that good, right? Um, everybody needs a coach. Everybody needs, whether you call him a coach, a mentor, uh, a friend, uh, whatever, you know what I'm saying? Everybody needs that that guidance factor. And it's not just, it, you can have multiple ones, right? You can have one, you know, 
who is more so your emotional mentor, right? They they check you when things aren't going right emotionally or, or with your, your family or anything like that. Then you could have somebody, if you're running a business or a got an organization or anything like that, you have somebody who's in that space and in that realm that can tell you, yes, do this, no, do, do that, try this and try that. Uh, and you mentioned the other point is like, how do you know if you can be a good father or just be a father if you've never done it? Uh, again, my pastor wrote a book called Focus, you know, what I'm saying speak it, plan it, do it. And focus is an acronym. And the F stands for fear, not the fear. Right. How do you know you can't do something if you've never done it? Right. What is there to fear if you've never done it? Um so and I think naturally, you know, what I'm saying you can fear stuff that you've never done because you're scared of the unknown. Right. But I think what we need to turn that into is that I've never done this, but I'm going to try to do it the best I can. Right. Because, Dad, you, you said it as well. While your dad wasn't around as much, you you took it upon yourself to say, I'm not going to be that person. I'm going to do it differently. I'm going to make sure I'm there as well. And, and Justin, you know, yeah, we didn't we didn't count dad's dad's coins. We didn't know how much he made, how much mom made. But we know when school started back, we got them two for 89 shoe deals at uh, <laughs> the mall. And we got nice clothes and stuff like that. But again, you know, I understand that not every kid will have that. But I mean, I think the smallest gestures for kids will just We'll just do it, you know what I'm saying? Whether it's uh, a pair of batting gloves for a sport or new football gloves or cleats or whatever, just showing that you care, you know what I'm saying, that you are making an honest effort, I think all the kids will, will definitely be appreciative. All right, so we're going to wrap up with our last official question. Um, and Jake, we'll, we'll start with you. Best piece of advice for expecting or new fathers? I would say like kind of to piggyback off the other um, example, just reach out to the fathers that you have seen growing up um, for wisdom. I always believe that um, the older generation, um, if you've seen them be successful and um, seen their children do the things that you would like and envision for your children to do, they are a good resource. Um, Especially like I've reached out to uh, my pastor on um, numerous occasions for wisdom about fatherhood. Um, I've even talked to uh, one of uh, my grad um, advisors that I had in college. Um, he's stationed in Okinawa right now as a chaplain in the Navy just for um, different things that I could kind of piggyback from and um, implement in Grayson's life and you know, since um, we've known each other, said like I've always been able to talk to your dad um, about anything. He's always had um, an open line just to um, you know talk, and you know he's always welcomed me as a um, another son too. And so it's just having um, people in your life that you've seen how they love their children and love their families. It's really it can really set you up for success. Um, if you really reach back to those who you've seen prosper. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, Justin. I will say advice that an expecting father or new father would need. Um, you, would, you will earn your stripes, but you will not earn them overnight. 
and it will take time, trial and error. It's it's a learning process, and my dad will probably agree it's a continual learning process. <laughs> so, for the new dads, be patient. Yeah, you will get it, and like Jay said, the support around you will be very great. Um, it's very helpful. Um, also, the support of your wife, if you happen to be married to the mother of your child, that's huge too. And uh, parenting is hard enough. I cannot imagine having to do it with just one person. So definitely that support around you. Reach out to folks, hang out with guys who's had kids. Now I reach out to a guy who's younger than me, but he's got more kids than me. So and then father longer than I have. So I, I reach out to him sometimes and ask for certain advice. So that would be my advice for expecting fathers or new fathers. Cool. All right, Dad. Wrap us up. All right. But, you know, you guys have hit the, you know, the, the nail with that. Um, I believe, like I said, you know, talk to people about being a father, you know, ones that you know that uh, are doing the right things, you know, things, you know, in their lives. Um, your pastors, like Jake said, um, you know, just, just talk to folks there. But also realize that you're going to make mistakes as a father, as an expected father. So don't let that turn you off about being a father. You know, don't let, you know, you're going to have disagreements with the mother. You're going to have, you're going to have times you was like, oh, did I do that right? Or should I have done that? You're going to have those times. You you just have to just sit back and just raise these kids, raise, raise your child, uh, if, you know, uh, with the mother. Um, make sure y'all on the same sheet of music. And y'all raise the child, you know, the best way y'all can. It's not gonna be perfect. None of us is perfect. I'm still trying to figure out how, how you guys got to where y'all are. But anyway, but uh, uh, mom, <laughs> you know, just don't try to make it a perfect thing. Just don't, you know, if you read a book, don't don't take the book as you know. Oh, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. I gotta do that. Just 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 go through it. Trust in God and continue on. That's all I got to say. Nice. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Yeah. Um, there, there's a lot of books about parenting, uh, but I, honestly, I don't know why people write books about parenting because every child has their own personality. Uh, every child has their own pitfalls and ups and downs. There may be similarities, but honestly, if you start reading, I feel like you should just throw it out the window because by the time you read it, your child is going to be doing the complete opposite of what that book is probably talking about. And then you're going to have to figure out on your own. Uh, and I think that's the beauty of parenthood. It's so individual. Uh, we all are individuals. Yes, we have a lot of similarities. I think the beauty of it, too, is when parents see the uh, the the personality of themselves in their kids. Right. Uh, my nephew looks just like my brother, just like him, makes faces just like him. Uh, he's Justin's making a face right now, and Paxton makes the same face. Uh, <laughs> he, they make faces, so I think that's the beauty of it all, too. And I think if we can find that joy, as as fathers, find that joy in seeing ourselves in 
not necessarily perfecting another version of us uh, in our kids, but uh, growing a better a better version of us, like an extension of us into that person. You know, Dad, you said, you know, how do we get here? It was because of you. You know, it was because of you. It was because of mom. It was because of the people we were surrounded with um, as well. You know, we I had a friend like Jake as well. You know what I'm saying? Who also wanted to do positive things as well. So those are the things as parents that, you know, you'll strive for as well. So, all right, real quick, lightning round, quick answers off the top of the dome. We got like five minutes. All right, so first one, uh, I'm gonna just go, uh, we'll go uh, Jake, Justin, and dad. So Jake, five words or less, your first reaction when you found out your wife was pregnant. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Justin. That was quick. (laughs) All right, Dad, five words or less, your first reaction when you found out your wife was pregnant. Why am I so sick? (laughs) Was that the first one or the second one? (laughs) The first one, it was like... <laughs> I got more sickness than your mother did. I don't know how that works. Um, and to provide context for mine, I said the first thing I thought with that was quick because um, we literally tried once and it happened. One and done. And I know that's not the norm, not always the norm, but that I, I assumed it would take more than one try and it did not. Boom. <laughs> Steph Curry with the shot. That's what's up. <laughs> uh, all right. Lightning round number question number two. Were you hoping for a son? Jake. Yes. Justin. I was good either way. Okay. Dad. I just wanted a healthy baby. For sure. For sure. Uh, again, I am in that father role to a girl. That's a challenge, especially with technology and stuff like that. So uh, Nanda and I are able to have another child. Gotta hope for a son, one of each, you know what I'm saying? Gotta continue the Warren name on, man. We already got one with Pac, so we'll keep it rolling. Uh, All right, Jake, proudest moment as a father thus far? I would probably say it's not actually a proudest moment, just me single um, by myself, but like seeing the interaction between my dad and my son nice. was probably my proudest moment as a father. That was something special for me that I honestly, um, I, I didn't think I was going to see. Yeah. So that was special. And you helped cultivate that. You know what I'm saying? So I yeah. think you should be proud of that. Again, we talked about that generational connection, right? Your dad has so right. much to share to you now, and then now he can share with Grayson as well. So that's a beautiful thing. Justin, proudest moment thus far. I know it's only been a year. Uh, uh, definitely seeing him walk for the first time and the fact that he recognizes me and looks for me. And I say that because prior to COVID hitting, I was um, at work most of the time when he was awake and Ivy was the one here because she works from home. Mm-hmm. So I always feared that maybe I'm not around enough. Yeah. You know, I'm not like, I'm in the home, of course, but I'm out here working. So like the fact that he recognizes me and like every time I go to the bathroom, he's knocking on the door. <laughs> oh man, he's about to be one of those kids. They feel very proud that I, he recognized me as his father. He's going to follow you everywhere. 
All right, Dad, you you got thirty two years of parenthood in there. So, what you got? My my proudest moment is just to see you guys where you are now. Yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of proud moments as y'all were growing up, but right now, I think this is my proudest moment because of where y'all are, what y'all are doing, and, and y'all grown into great young men, and I, I, that is my proudest moment. Awesome, awesome. Uh, my dog follows me around like that, so that's kind of like my child. That's my first child. He everywhere I go, like he he's on my heels, like. For, and and I guess because it's he recognizes I'm the other male in the house, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So he's like, I listen to him. So it, like literally from the time I get up to the time I go to sleep, there Isaiah is on my heels. Um, I think from my perspective um, and coming into it as well, where Nanda had been raising Malia for uh, you know years before I came into it, but I think what I've seen, I I've, I've loved to see is just her. Uh, growth in athletics um, and just trying new things and as well uh, and then I think just seeing her personality come out of who she is she's hilarious um, she doesn't talk much around other people but when she's with us you know she's always talking and joking and laughing so uh, I look forward to kind of seeing that from the start too when, when I have a child um my blood, I guess you could say, uh, of my own as well. So, uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for being on. Uh, I really appreciate it. I uh, appreciate your time and answers and honest answers. This was really great. So with that being said, man, I just want to thank everyone so much for rocking with me these past seven months. Like I mentioned, it is the last episode of season one. Uh, so thank you so much. It's crazy how all this got started. Uh, and I have to stop and say that I'm proud of myself for saying I was going to do it and then sticking with it so diligently, of course. Consistency was my theme for 2020. I mentioned that on one of the last episodes of 2019, I wanted to be consistent with this podcast, first and foremost. Uh, one of the first things I read before starting was that the success of a podcast mainly comes with consistency. Uh, so I made it a point to be consistent. I was intentional about having topics, posting on social media, and developing content. Uh, I wanted to be consistent with my nonprofit, and I've done that. Uh, I wanted to be consistent with my faith. And I'm in at times, uh, I can definitely do better, but there's still six months left in this year for me to get back on track with my devotionals and, and praying daily as well. Uh, it is prayer that truly got me to where I am now, not just prayers of my own, but prayers of my friends and family, uh, parents as well, trusting in God. Uh, I now truly live by the saying, it's amazing what God has for us on the other side of fear. Uh, before I sign off for this summer, I want y'all to recognize that fear that you have. Recognize the barrier or the wall that is stopping you from getting what you want. Uh, once you recognize it, take the leap. Leave up the wall. Jump off the cliff. Uh, I'm here in Indianapolis uh, flourishing. I, I feel like I'm flourishing because I took that leap. Uh, you may scrape yourself some, but you will land. You will fly. I promise. Uh, and when you do, ask yourself, why did you fear it in the first place? Um, I, like I mentioned earlier, my pastor has a book called Focus, and in it he mentions that we should not, we should fear not the fear. Um, so how do we know if we can't do it if we've never done it, right? How do I know I can't do a backflip if I've never tried to do a backflip, right? Uh, so as my parents have said, nothing hurts but a try. So always remember that. Uh, so thank y'all so much for rocking with me. It's been amazing. I look forward to season two. 
We'll be back in September. Uh, we'll probably still see us posting on social media. Uh, we'll have better sound, merchandise, segments, engagement, all that stuff. So I look forward to talking with y'all. Lastly, be sure to follow us on social media at said underscore talk on Instagram and Twitter. Listen to past episodes with the link in the bio. Also follow our good friend and partners, Donald and Rachel Wilson at d.r.designing. Um, Get all your, get yourself a logo for a business. Uh, they did our po- podcast logo. He's also working on some logos for my nonprofit as well. Get your Father's Day tees. Those are available now. Get your Juneteenth tees. Uh, custom growth charts. I got one of those for my nephew as well. Uh, so get all the things you need for your kids, nieces, and nephew and more. Lastly, be sure to purchase some Said Talk merch with the link in the bio as well. All proceeds go to paying off my student loans and most importantly, supporting my nonprofit organization, Palmetto Pride Sports, a low-cost club and travel sports organization dedicated to minority youth who play sports with low minority representation. Uh, these include baseball, softball, volleyball, the tennis and soccer we are officially a 501c3 registered organization with the irs so what does that mean people that means all of your donations are tax deductible so be like the rich people dump a bunch of money into this charity and you'll get it all back in tax time or more right so again thanks again everyone i'm truly thankful for you all we'll see you in september as always black lives matter and thanks for listening